Welcome to episode number four of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we're increasing awareness of combustible hazards, generating lessons learned from incidents as they occur, and helping to connect the global combustible dust community. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with Jeremy Slonwhite, an explosion and safety engineering consultant with Remby Inc. Jeremy has a very diverse background with over 12 years experience in materials handling, explosion safety, and implementing safety systems involving combustible dust. And in 2010, he was involved with the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Safety Program that we talk a lot about in this episode. In the program, the province of Nova Scotia shut down over 150 wood shops that had dust collectors at high schools and in government buildings uh, in order to form an audit of the fire, explosion, and other safety hazards involved with these dust collectors. This resulted in many deficiencies being noted um, and many upgrades and replacements being completed throughout the province. In this episode, we discuss the major deficiencies that were found um, and a lot of the background involving this process of how to actually go about auditing and implementing a, a large-scale review of safety systems with a particular set of equipment. There's two aspects I want to highlight right up front in this introduction before we get into the episode. The first is just the, the wide systematic issues that were identified here in that the level of awareness of combustible dust safety, the equipment involved, the equipment that needs to be included, to prevent fires and explosions was, was really just absent throughout the entire province. And the, the real difficulty here is then how many dust collectors are improperly protected at high schools throughout the country and throughout North America. In the first half of 2018 and the first half of this year, we reported four large-scale fires at high schools in the U.S. in our mid-year incident report. And these just show that fires are occurring in these dust collection systems and in these wood shops. And then if the, the dust collectors are not properly protected, this could lead to a, a large-scale issue involving the, the occupants of the, the wood shops. The second major issue that I want to highlight um, that Jeremy touches on is improper uh, return systems for dust collectors, ejecting dust into drop ceilings. The reason I want to highlight this is if you have a facility that handles combustible dust or any dust, um, just do, do us a favor and take a look above the drop ceiling. Do when all your equipment is turned off in the facility. Just make sure you don't have six, eight, ten inches of combustible dust above all the workers' heads. That's a very scary and very dangerous scenario. I include in the show notes, which you can go to at dustsafetyscience.com slash four for this episode, episode number four. I include a link to the U.S. Chemical Safety Board report to the West Pharmaceutical explosion, which was made drastically worse by having um, polyethylene dust accumulated in these drop ceilings. It actually destroyed the entire facility. So what could have been a single equipment explosion actually ended up um, destroying the whole facility. And if that combustible dust is allowed to accumulate in the drop ceiling, that can be a big issue. So I just want to encourage you, if you do have a drop ceiling and handle the combustible dust, to, to check up there routinely um, and make sure that that's not accumulating. And it could be from the dust collector. It could be from just fugitive dust from other equipment or just uh, dust floating up into the air and getting trapped there. And there's, there's many ways they can get up there, but it's good to double check that it's not um, because that can be a serious issue. And with that, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We appreciate you having you here today. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. So I already said a little bit of your background in the introduction, but the reason I wanted to have you on was really twofold. Um, you have quite a bit of experience of different roles within industrial safety and then moving into combustible dust safety through HVAC systems and then through to consulting and projects. And then also you did play a role with uh, a local 
dust collector safety program here that I want to, to uh, discuss as well. So maybe a good place to start would be just to kind of go through some of the roles that you've had within combustible dust and industrial safety. Yeah, sure thing. The whole combustible dust industrial safety is not something I, I, I targeted or, or sought after through engineering education at Dalhousie. It was something that kind of just fell into my, onto my plate as through evolution of projects. So starting off, as a mechanical engineer with a, a small local uh, co- consulting firm, East Point Engineering, they focus a lot on there's some industrial material handling, where I was involved with some material handling, dust collection system assessment, uh, design improvements of ventilation and, and dust capture, and uh, as well as some building systems commissioning on the local side. And through the material handling projects at the industrial level, that evolved into combustible dust awareness just in handling the materials and products and there wasn't a whole lot of folks that were really educated in doing that thing at the time so we took it upon ourselves to climb that really steep learning curve and and become knowledgeable and know what we were doing on it so we started to live by way of the nfpa standards and and best practices learning about combustible dust and explosion protection and all the applicable codes and standards that's a really interesting starting point so um, you started as a material in materials handling, and you mentioned that you guys moved into combustible dust safety, but what was the kind of driver for that? Because I know a lot of people that we talk to um, are, are interested in better ways to increase awareness and to get more material handling experts started down that path to, to dust safety. Yeah, so a lot of the, the industrial work was that I hadn't been involved with was at an industrial rubber manufacturing company and they have uh, facilities all over North America. And I can actually remember back in 2008 being at a hotel lobby eating breakfast down in the southern U.S. And there was a news report on TV about the Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion in Georgia that killed 14 people. And that was at that point, we had just kind of started getting into the industry and, and creating the awareness and working on some projects for Uh, combustible dust safety and and explosion protection for combustible products that are handled at some of the facilities that we've done some material handling work at. And so that was the eye opener. And I remember looking at that, reading, seeing that news article or news story and thinking, oh, geez, here we go. Things are going to get interesting. And and they sure have with the Chemical Safety Board's initiative of the uh, Combustible Dust National Emphasis Program in the U.S. that spawned a whole lot of awareness and, and really driven, started the kickoff to the, taking the industry to where it is now in North America. Right, yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting because one of the episodes that I have recorded we haven't put out yet is actually covering the Imperial Sugar Refinery um, and the kind of the impact that that had on the industry with the release of the CSB recommendations following on with OSHA and their, their National Emphasis Program. Um, so it's interesting to hear that was a, a key driver for you guys getting in that area as well. Yeah, exactly. It validated the work that we were doing and it, it had more of a motivation and a, a uh, encouragement and a validation that we were on the right path and what we were doing had that much more meaning and not just keeping the nuisance dust out of facilities, but it had a real life and safety aspect to uh, the importance of, of, of these, right. this type right. of protection. No, that makes a lot of sense. So after, um, after that kind of role in materials handling, uh, my understanding is that you moved into more government type position. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I did, my junior career decided to make a bit of a career shift and get a little bit of diversity, moved on to government. So Nova Scotia Transportation Infrastructure and Oil effectively is a public works division. 
joined their group as part of their energy retrofit engineering project group to implement energy retrofit projects in government-owned buildings. But uh, that's right around the same time when the the provincial combustible dust retrofit program that we'll get into had had kind of gotten off the ground. So I, I kind of wearing two hats in that role. And it was involved a lot of that, which we'll get into a little bit later there. Um, maybe we can jump into that, actually, because it will be a good time to to uh, to dive into that a bit. And then we can kind of come around to the consulting and product roles maybe at the end. So that okay. program um, for the, the viewers information, and I'll include a, a link to some of this material in the show notes. Um, but in 2010, the provincial government in Nova Scotia, which is where, where I'm at and where Jeremy's at, had a provincial dust collector safety program rolled out. Um, they found some deficiencies in, in schools around the province. I think they, they investigated 15 and found 15 deficiencies with, with several parts of the dust collection systems, but in particular fire and explosion protection. Uh, and they actually shut down the, the dust collectors in about 150 schools in the province while they did this, this retrofit program. So that's some of the background. From your side, Jeremy, how did that kind of come about? What was the, the starting of that process? So it was kind of being in the right place at the right time with the right knowledge. So being back at the engineering consulting farm, one of the type of projects we took on was building systems commissioning. So going into a, a new building, construct, commercial building construction, checking out all the electrical mechanical systems, making sure they were built, designed and functioning as per spec and design and all that kind of stuff. Right. So being having a, some experience in the the dust collection systems from the industrial level, we spent a little bit extra time and and kind of went over with a fine, fine tooth comb, the, the dust collection system in the little woodworking shop at the brand new Citadel High School, which is kind of a, a showpiece uh, building in the center of Halifax. Right. And we found right away, there were some significant deficiencies for the sake of fire and explosion protection that we weren't comfortable with. And we raised that flag right away and, and effectively immediately locked out the, that system saying and said, for, as our due diligence as engineers said, you can't operate this safely, especially considering the, the consequences in a, in a public school environment. Right. I'm not sure if you can share the particular deficiencies in that case, but if you can or give any idea what even what the typical deficiencies might be in that scenario might be helpful for the, the listeners. The primary ones in that, in that site that, situation was the the means of explosion venting so there was some degree of explosion venting on the dust collector but it, it wasn't by any means reliable or we weren't confident that it was going to be able to effectively do its job in the event that a dust explosion inside the dust collector was right. to was to happen so we started going down the rabbit hole a little bit making some recommendations doing some analysis and and uncovering some of the 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 details of of what would happen and what then progressed into the the entire program so the government obviously got got up to the uh, the, the higher echelons of of the government pretty fast because it was a serious issue and that led them to basically ask the question, if this is a brand new installation that we expect to be top-notch and everything right. all T's crossed and I's dotted, and there's deficiencies with it, then how many other sites are there out there with existing wood shops that are 20, 30 plus years old that have equal or, or more deficiencies and hazards relating to right. dust handling? So that's when they initiated the program. 
and done a did a preliminary inspection of a, a few sample of schools and found again all of them pretty much failed for the sake of of safe operation and handling of combustible dust effectively sawdust right yeah it's an interesting question because you you sample 15 just in nova scotia then the question is well how many are there throughout canada how many are there throughout the united states and and so on and i know the instant report we just released for 2018 the first six months um, I don't know the exact number, but I think there was at least five or six fires recorded at, at high schools and, and um, different schools in the woodshop areas. None of those resulted in explosion, but there's five ignition cases that, that each could have led to an explosion. The question is, well, how, how were their safety systems? Were they operating properly or were they maybe um, designed incorrectly to, to allow the explosion to propagate? Um, and destroy equipment, but even to propagate in an unsafe manner and maybe injure some of the, the students. So it's a really important question. Well, and that's the thing, as you say, about the the, the injury, the, the, the hazard upon the occupants, the students, in this case where the, the shops are relatively small, there's not a, usually a whole lot of residual dust in the classrooms, a little bit, ex some exceptions, of course. And the, but the hazard is that if something were to happen, the potential for, for consequence is just so grave with obviously students and public at, in the buildings and in the shops. Yeah. So that's, that elevated the, the, the hazard level that to, to the, level, the high level that it was, as opposed to a smaller industrial site, maybe a more, little more off the radar. It was interesting when I read the press release, one, because I hadn't heard of it even though I've, I've been kind of studying combustible dust in this area for, for a number of years, yeah. right down the street. But the, the magnitude was quite high. So they, they basically shut down for at least 10 weeks, um, 150 shops throughout Nova Scotia, um, redid the, the woodworking program so that they didn't have to use those uh, power tools that were generating that sawdust yep. while, they, while they did that program. So maybe on the program side, can you walk us through some of the steps that they actually did to find the, the issues and address them? How, what did that process look like? So upon discovering these few, the small sample of sites and shops having the similar and greater deficiencies, they opened it up and hired some consultants to do wider assessments of generally all of the public schools, junior highs and high schools, middle schools in the province that have wood shops and do a basically a checklist audit of what the primary items for combustible dust safe handling were and if they were present or not, as well as some additional recommendations for for safe operation and uh, and and also they were smart looking at it, saying if we're going to look at these and if there's some deficiencies, let's let's look at if there's opportunity to improve the function of them, improve the dust capture that that would what these systems are designed to do. Take take note of that as well. So if we're going to do any work and make any upgrades, let's let's do it right, not just do the bare minimum. So those assessments were done. And, and in parallel, as my role with the province at that time was kind of looking after the administrative side of, of that, kind of feeding to the, uh, the consultants that were doing those audits. But myself, I was personally involved with touring the province and audited, personally auditing the community colleges. There's, uh, I think, about eight to ten of them at the time that had significant woodworking programs themselves with, with some, some substantial shops wood shops in them as they are the vocational right. uh, red seal program. So they were, they were well equipped. Right. And with that, there was also hospitals, um, 
museums, Department of Natural Resources, didn't realize how many government departments and entities right. and organizations had little wood shops to do work on projects for whatever be it. So I went basically from corner to corner, end to end of the province, assessing and auditing the, the dust collection systems for any provincial wood shop that wasn't in a public school at that point. There wasn't many that I don't, I don't even know if there was one that was perfect by any means. Sure. There was issues with pretty much all of them, some more than others for sure. And what were some of the major kind of uh, issues that would flag it as being sort of a high risk area that should be addressed? Um, we'll say immediately, but even, even in the kind of very near term. Yeah, the biggest thing was the the awareness of explosion venting. There were some cases where there's dust collectors inside a facility with with uh, with no explosion venting. So if something were to happen, that would be a catastrophic event that right. would have high imp- high likelihood of, of uh, severe oh, yeah, damage. Right. And and then other even others that were the uh, with outside exterior located dust collectors that did have explosion vents, and they were pointing at doorways and picnic tables and okay. and passageways and parking lots, just areas that there was no regard for. If this thing does have a vented explosion, what are the, what are the after effects? Where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Um, and, and with that, a lot of the, the equipment, the explosion vents and the dust collectors were, were under maintained. And that's, again, that's pretty normal. We, as we see in industry, in a lot of cases, these, the dust collection systems are just large uh, vacuum cleaners that you just kind of set it and forget it. And right. they're, they're un- usually underappreciated and under-maintained. Sure. Um, and likewise, that the, the the vents, the hinges on the vent doors were often quite rusty, painted over, bolted over in some cases. And sure. there was a very little regard for what they were there for and what they did and, and why. So that yeah. was all part of the learning curve. And I don't think, well, it's easy for me to say this, but I don't think mm-hmm. you have to be a combustibleist expert to realize that if you're ejecting a fireball out of a piece of machinery, um, you don't want workers standing beside the fireball but yeah know, exactly as obvious as as it seems and um, again being in the same boat i was in the same the same mentality that well this thing has a potential for a fireball don't you want to be aware of this and there was it was interesting to see how much not opposition but but and i don't want to mean it say in a bad way of ignorance or just unawareness i guess is a better word i i found and was was presented with with a lot of the shop shop owner uh, teachers or or guys are running the shop especially in some of the more rural areas that just the way they've done it and then and, and it's it's a it's a dust collector it's a wood shop and so it's a vacuum cleaner so i had a, a nice little video on my phone a youtube video of a sawdust cannon where they take a, a, a big probably a 12 inch 15 inch pipe fill it with right. sawdust and then eject it up in the air with some compressed air and it creates a, a big like 100 foot fireball and, and i would show them that video saying this is just sawdust and there's, you know, no more sawdust in this, in this, that pipe than you could fit in the hop or your dust collector. And countless times, I don't remember how many times that you, I saw the, the big wide eye opening saying, that sawdust, really? And they were expecting it was like a, a gunpowder or, or something, right. some volatile chemical or something. So no, this is exactly the same stuff that's sitting in, in your dust collector. And, and handling fuel. Yeah, exactly. So on the project side then, I guess, so we did audit, we did kind of an audit process. They did some ranking. Um, and then they, did they send out to tender or how did they do the corrections? Did it go directly to equipment manufacturers or was. Yeah. yeah. So that was an interesting process as well. Understanding that there was many, many, many 
sites and installations that needed some needed work that there's no capacity and budget to be able to do all of them all at once. So they were ranked on a basis of priority after the initial audits were performed. That's a good lesson, I think, because um, a lot of time we come in and say, well, there's these, these um, 10 or 15 or 50 or 100 deficiencies. You need to fix them all tomorrow. Uh, and it just may not be realistic. So then it's about coming up with that that approach where you can rank the risks and deal with the most important ones first. So I think it's a good lesson to learn on that kind of checklist. You mentioned you guys were going around doing the audits with sort of a, a checklist approach. Were there some mm -hmm. big key items on there that, that is worth kind of sh sharing with the listeners that might be good to check for their own systems? Absolutely. So the critical elements are the explosion venting or the location of the dust collector. Where is it? what level of type of explosion venting and, and what are the effects of that explosion venting? If it does have explosion venting, is it gonna work? So if it's latch style hinge door venting, is there adequate, there's sometimes, it, based on the interpretation analysis of how much venting should be there, we questioned if it was enough because of the kind of, some of the old school and, and these systems were put in 20, 30 years ago perhaps. So uh, the, the design parameters have may have changed a little bit. So looking at is it going to do its job and and also the condition state of if those those explosion doors have to open are they going to and what are the after effects so with that if the dust collector is located right. inside it and it has an explosion and even if it is directed to the exterior you still got a raging fire inside that thing so there's a, a fire protection thing that has to be considered that is there is there some sort of means of fire protection Beyond that is the the inlet isolation. If a if a, if a explosion, deflagration, and pressure wave happens inside that dust collector, it's going to want to travel back up that inlet pipe to the ducting system inside the shop. So, is there some means of of inlet isolation, typically by a backflow preventer valve, which in some in, a lot, in some cases was there, and in many cases was not. Right. And also the maintenance maintain maintenance of those, because it is a a moving moving kind of mechanical item right. uh, th those those are the critical ones and then beyond that then like the next point in the hierarchy was the exhaust air from these dust collection systems after the air is filtered through pulled through the filters the material sawdust is stripped off and discharged out of the fan on the dust collector often cases it was ducted right back into the shop for heat recovery and and air balancing makeup air and whatnot right. and I mean, mechanically and logically, that seems like a, a, a good thing to do to save energy and, and air. But the, the hazard with that is if, if there's a fire or an explosion in the dust collector, it's, it has a high probability of propagating through that exhaust air system right back into the shop right. and creating an, 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 an yet another connected hazard. So there was often, this was one of the largest quantitative wise deficiencies it was the protection systems and design configurations for recycled air systems which the nfpa standard 664 requires certain provisions by way of spark detection right. uh, abort gate diversion uh, and, and a spark extinguishing on systems that return air to a facility and by far and most there were they were absent on most of the majority of the systems and in some cases there were several, one or two in particular, seeing the consultant reports that the air was the, the air duct, the exhaust air duct was uh, brought in back to the building and 
uh, discharged or, or exhausted into the open sealing space as for uh, for vents and uh, the, the the air return air louvers. Right. Uh, there was a disconnect or or a break in that duct that just dumped the air into the space and let it make its way down into the room. Right. However, being a drop ceiling and having under maintained filters and that had torn and and failed over over years the dust that was sucked up from the wood shop was uh, traveled and and uh, handled the through the whole dust collection system and deposited in that drop ceiling that there was six eight i think it was up to eight inches or more oh, that's pretty dangerous. of a layer in the drop ceiling of, of this wood shop so it's a very very high high degree hazard that we have a high quantity of fine combustible dust but unknowingly in the ceiling that if something were to ever happen that's a that's a pretty big deal yeah just because you don't see yeah. dust lying around you doesn't mean that it's not necessarily in different areas and wall cavities in false ceilings and if you do the math on eight inches across your facility Ooh. you're yeah. going to come up with you know a couple tons of fuel sitting sitting above everyone's head well uh, yeah and pretty it, scary it, stuff Exactly, and like you say, the 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 the, uh, the out of sight hazards. There's even doing some of these audits in these the the off the path shops, or even uh, most of them for that matter. You open up the base of the table saw or some of these power tools, and they're often filled with dust. In some cases, burying the motors, which are a high fire hazard that they uh, they were frankly unaware of, and they figure that these these hatch doors are just for the way of maintenance and whatnot, but they're very, very prone to accumulating residual dust by by operation of these machines that yeah. is largely from either under design or or lack of of dust extraction at the tool. And uh, there was some there's one in, even one in particular, where there was a table saw in the middle of the shop that was all rusted because they had indicated that there had been a fire in it because of that exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really good to highlight a lot of the, the potential hazards that we see quite a bit when you take a step back. But if you're working in that facility... Complacency every, kills. Yeah, and you can't... The, the saying that I like to, to think of is you can't read the label from inside the jar. So if yeah. you're inside, it's really hard to see what's going on from that kind of take a step back. That's why it's important to, to bring in experts a lot of the time that can kind of take that unbiased um, look at your, your facility. So kind of moving on from the, the dust safety program with uh, Nova Scotia provincial safety processes. I know, so you spent some time with them and then you moved on to uh, project manager role with EPM consulting. Now you're yes. a explosion safety consultant with uh, Remby Inc. Maybe we could uh, talk a bit about those kind of roles and how they might've differed from um, your your earlier work at East Point, or how they might have been similar? Yeah, for sure, Chris. So at EPM, I was acting as a more specialized combustible dust and material handling engineer, where we specialized on predominantly dust collection system design at a usually industrial level and explosion protection system retrofit. So we did a lot of audits on on facilities, a lot of uh, woodworking, wood processing facilities for for combustible dust efficiencies, which was basically the similar element of the, the, the Nova Scotia schools, just on a much larger scale. And in and around that time that I had kind of changed roles again, joined back, went back to, to private consulting from the government after a short, uh, short stint 
kind of out of the the dust scene with the Department of Energy, just a, again a bit of a career shift for right. a, a short time, but and back wanted to wanted to get back into the the, the dust world. Sure. Uh, right around that time in 2012, there was the incident out in British Columbia in Burns Lake and Lakeland Mills uh, with the two sawmills that had the uh, devastating explosions four right. months apart and it totaled in four fatalities as a result of the uh, beetle kill pine scenario and situation. Um, dried out a lot of the wood. We'll include links to that as well in the, the show notes. Yeah, know... that's a whole show on its own. I won't get yeah. into the details. But with that, the whole BC government initiated a uh, effectively their dust, combustible dust emphasis program through WorkSafe BC, requiring that all woodworking facilities in the province of BC were to be audited and inspected for combustible dust management, safety and hazards. Right. So we got a lot of interest out of that and which turned some cases turned into d- design work of, of improving, upgrading uh, explosion protection, dust collection systems, Im- improving the point source dust collection on some of these facilities just to keep the, the, the plants, mills and facilities inherently cleaner. There's a lot of cases. Right. It's, it was a secondary dust in those facilities that were the, the large hazards. The dust collectors themselves usually back out behind the building. If it were to blow up, it would be it would be nasty for sure. But it's low low occupancy. Right. But it's the inside where there's piles and piles of dust, dry dust, filling the basement that would that in right. in these two mills that happened. Yeah, created the the secondary explosion. Right. Yeah. So kind of from that role, and and now I. Th- think uh, you're you're with Rembi. Are you doing more on on product implementation for say explosion venting and and isolation valves and that sort of thing? Or are you still doing a lot more consulting roles throughout uh, Canada and the States? It's a bit of a hybrid role that I'm filling right now. So from the the applicational design effectively design only role at at uh, at EPM being very empirical on the the, the solution saying you explosion venting or isolation was required as per NFPA 68 or 69 and it left at that. Now I'm looking more in fine detail at the specific explosion protection solutions. So look with the the Rembi product lineup of kind of cutting edge and and sophisticated explosion protection design solution for explosion safety, explosion protection, supporting the the U.S. team specific applications based on my exposure awareness yeah, providing answers when there aren't textbook answers that can be applied to these systems. Exactly, and that's where it comes down to it in a lot of cases that there's been a, a large increase in awareness and a lot of, of groups that have come on board and are advising and are much more aware and complying with a lot of the, the designs and, and standards for combustible dust. But there's still a lot of situations, especially retrofit scenarios, that are definitely outside the box that they take a bit of an interpretive approach to understand right. what the hazards are and how best to deal with yeah, it's the experience level, right? So you go from um, applications of, of known solutions to given problem sets to the government side, maybe where um, where awareness might be an issue or you may have a lot of stakeholders through to kind of expert opinion and coming out with non-novel solutions or coming up with novel solutions rather. And it really takes that whole kind of cross-section to be able to to figure out a lot of these newer areas or even retrofits in older facilities. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of one of the neat roles with that I have right now with Rembi that I'm, I have the opportunity to, to be able to go into different facilities and give a facility wide assessment of, of the, the, the dust, the combustible dust hazards, make the recommendations based on 
the exposure protection solutions that the Rembi has to offer, but also to be able to highlight as a, a, a general value and safety awareness for what, what other areas that they should be focusing on for the, the general safety and protection of the process and, and facility. Right. I think we can, we're getting close to the end. I don't want to take too much of your time. So maybe, maybe we'll finish on. I think the, the biggest value you could add to our, our listeners is because you had such diverse roles and then have been on projects where they're doing everything from auditing to implementation in government facilities, plus, you know, large industrial installations. One key thing is, do you have any recommendations on how these different people groups, um, and you've been a part of, of many, many of the different ones, how they can better communicate or increase awareness or increase the understanding to make these kind of facilities safer. Like, do you have any thoughts on that or, or recommendations there? I think it bridges on the, the, the recent evolution of the NFPA standards, especially the new 652 standard for fundamentals of combustible dust safety. And that's the dust hazard analysis that pretty much all combustible dust handling facilities by the, according to the NFPA are required to, to have a dust hazard analysis. And basically all that means is understand what you're working with and know what you're up against. The only way you can be equipped and prepared to deal with a problem or, or fix a problem is, is to understand it. And without knowing what you're dealing with, you have little hope to, to understanding and, and implementing any kind of fix. Yeah, that's really great feedback. And like I said, we really appreciate having you on and sharing your, your expertise and your, your many, many years of working with this materials, both within Nova Scotia and, and broader Canadian United States. Um, I'll, we'll definitely have Jeremy's email and contact information um, listed in the show notes of this episode as, as well. So if you need to, uh, to contact him, if you have any questions or even want to talk about uh, possible Remy solutions in your facility, definitely reach out to him there and, and he'll be able to, to provide some great feedback for you. So I want to say thank you again, Jeremy, and um, we'll, we'll kind of end the, the talk there. Thanks, Chris. It's a great opportunity to, to shed some, some light and experience and just hope to keep doing that more and make the world of combustible dust a safer place one day and one place at a time. That's right. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, you too.